And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians 5, we're going to continue our uh, study and our lessons through the um, fruit of the Spirit that we've been looking at. And to, today we're going to look at actually the last one in the list as we've been going through these. And uh, again, I hope and pray it's been a blessing and encouragement to you. It's, uh, I've enjoyed going through and studying it and uh, really looking at each of the fruit of the Spirit as it pertains to uh, the Word of God and, and what the Bible has to say about it. And the Bible says here in, first, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and once you've found that, before I read that, go to, uh, put your finger there and go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. See, I should have had you turn there and then put your finger there and go back to Galatians, all right? So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, and uh, save your spot there as we will be going there right after we look at Galatians. Matter of fact, you probably have as much as we've read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, I hope you have it memorized, all right? It would not be a bad thing uh, to actually have that memorized. We've read these verses week after week after week, and it's been good, and, uh, and certainly they are important. So Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And I'm going to read in Galatians 5, our text that we've been looking at, 22. The Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And that is, of course, the fruit that we've been going through. And today we're going to look at temperance. Go with me to 1 Corinthians now, verse number or chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And verse number 24 We'll take our text there as it deals with, as it relates to temperance. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Every, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now let's stop right there and let's have a word of prayer before we get into our uh, lesson this morning. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for your word that we can look at, we can study, we can learn from, we can draw uh, from, and Father, we can be fed from your word. God, I pray that you'd use me this morning. I pray, Father, that you would speak to each and every heart as only you can. God, I pray that you would touch and encourage lives, Father, and uh, may we be strengthened by learning about the fruit of the Spirit and the specific fruit of temperance, Father. May we practice that in our life. May we understand it. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at temperance, uh, many problems in life are related to a lack of temperance. And uh, people feel their lives are out of control. Pressures and circumstances seem insurmountable and overwhelming. Even those who, uh, even those who seem to have it all together often indulge in an 
in an escapist mentality. In other words, they want to escape from reality and not face reality. Depressive thoughts often rule over them and are an indication that their lives are out of control. Often people respond by seeking self-help, support groups, and religion. What they don't understand that the, is that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's guidance is necessary if we are to possess the strength to handle life's challenges. As we look at the meaning of temperance, uh, may we understand the importance it carries if it is practiced, the model it displays, and the development effects it has in a life. Practically apply this fruit of the Spirit step by step in your life. As we look at this, this idea of temperance, it's so important for us to really uh, understand it and grasp it. Uh, the word temperance is actually only found four times in the entire Bible. So it's not used very often. And, uh, and one time it's used in Acts 24, 25 when Paul is witnessing to Felix and, uh, and he uses it in reference to salvation and then, and then having temperance. And so uh, temperance would be applied after salvation, thus a fruit of the Spirit. And it also refers to it in 2 Peter Chapter number 1, you can jot that down, 2 Peter 1, 5 and 6. And the verse actually uses it two times and it says this. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness. And so you can see that it is used in a list of things that ought to be added to our life. And as a Christian grows and matures in their life, it is one of the things that ought to be added uh, to their life. And then we see in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24 that we already read, we have the word temperate. Uh, and temperate is different than temperance. It is the same word, same idea, but it is a different word. And it is only used three times in the Bible. And, uh, and so as we look at this, of course, in our text of 1 Corinthians, it's a little easier to understand kind of the idea of what it is, but we need to define temperance. So the first thing we're going to do is look at temperance defined. And as we read our text here, uh, look with me again in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. He says this, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And then looking in our text, we find uh, that Paul is giving an analogy here of a physical race, of a foot race. Now, when I was younger, I used to love to race. I was fast. I was not, I could not run distance. I, I, you put me in, uh, uh, I remember one time they ran all around the field like four times. And, and uh, I made it the first half a lap. Uh, and then I was dying, you know, and I was, I was, well, everyone, I was, I was out in the lead. I mean, I was the first to the half, the halfway point uh, of the first lap. But uh, after that, and everyone just passed me and I, I barely could chug along and I was dying because I, I, I was fast in the beginning. Uh, but uh, running a long distance race is a whole different thing. 
And so Paul is giving an illustration here and he's saying basically, hey, that those who strive, those who work towards those things, they, they work at it. A guy who runs a long distance race, I've since learned to pace myself and run longer distances, but a guy who's good at pacing themselves knows the pace that they can set and they can run at that distance, but they also know how long they can run at that distance. And, uh, and they might bump up their pace just a little bit to try and stretch themselves and get faster uh, and, and try and, and build up more endurance and go a longer way. And what is he saying? He's saying basically that, listen, all those guys enter the race, every one of them, but only one's going to come away with a winner. Uh, with a prize. Only one is going to come away with the gold medal. You do not have uh, more than one gold medalist in an Olympic uh, uh, race or in some other race. You only have one person who comes out on top. And, uh, and he's saying that person that does that, uh, they, have, they have worked at it and mastered their ability to do whatever sport it is that they do. And he says that they're temperate. In other words, that, it, that would be moderation or self-control. Any athlete that has made it anywhere in their sport has not done so by accident. They didn't just wake up one day and say, man, I think I'm going to go run a marathon and, and go run and win that marathon. That does not happen. Uh, it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, uh, of, of preparation. It just doesn't happen by accident. It requires sacrifice, self-discipline, and restraint. Not just in exercise, but it, it requires that in exercise. It requires it in diet. It requires in sleep. It's required in rest. In every aspect, if somebody really wants to dominate and become an athlete that is the best, um, listen, they control every portion of their life. It's not, they didn't just wake up and say, well, today I'm going to be uh, a pro uh, football player or a pro baseball player, or a pro basketball player. I mean, they worked at it. And if you read about some of those guys, it is amazing how regimented their life truly is. They, they put a lot of effort into it. And so Paul is using this analogy, and he's saying, listen, temperance is moderation. It is self-control. Look at it again in our text in verse 24. Know ye not that they, uh, verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. In other words, they have moderation, they have self-control in everything they do. I read this illustration, I thought it was interesting. Uh, as, as we mentioned, many people, they run to uh, a lot of self-help groups and, and things like that to try and get, regain control of their life. It's interesting, I read this, this illustration. Uh, secular humanist counselors may have many ridiculous philosophies about discipline. Many of them believe you should question authority and follow your own desires and emotions. A Cambridge professor named Coolridge once had a man over to his home who did not believe in giving small children any religious instruction. This man believed that the child's mind should not be prejudiced 
in any direction, but he should be permitted to choose his own religious opinions when he came to a, an age of discretion. Coolridge said nothing. After a while, he asked his visitor if he would care to see his garden. The man complied, and Coolridge took him to the garden where only weeds were growing. The man looked at Coolridge in surprise and exclaimed, Well, this is not a garden. There is nothing here but weeds. Well, you see, Coolridge answered, I did not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden a chance to express itself and choose its own production. And, uh, and obviously that goes uh, right along with the idea that, hey, uh, the Bible does say a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. If you have a garden, you know that in your garden you worked at it. Those, uh, those vegetables that popped up, they did not pop up by accident. Uh, the, the things that grew there, they didn't just, wow, I walked out to my yard and all of a sudden there was this nicely plowed lot of, uh, of, of land and, and, man, there was some beautiful tomatoes and there was some beautiful... Uh, 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 lettuce and, and beans and all of that was growing and I didn't do anything. That doesn't happen that way. It requires work and it requires effort and it requires watering and it requires weeding and it requires going out and paying attention to that thing. And listen, the same idea is Paul is giving us this illustration that in our spiritual life, it requires the same thing. Go back to our text, verse number 25. He says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And so he's making the application to the spiritual side of life in that, listen, if we, uh, if we are going to have temperance in our life, then it must be worked on. Uh, if we are going to be spiritual in our life, then it must be worked on. Uh, it is not going to happen by accident. It's, you're not going to wake up one day and say, wow, uh, you know, I am spiritual and I'm kind of like the Apostle Paul. No, it requires work and it requires effort and it requires discipline. Listen, discipline, temperance can be applied in many areas of our life. It can be applied in work. It can be applied. Uh, we ought to apply it in our areas of work. We are, I've often said, and I, I firmly believe this, that Christians ought to be the best workers in the, in the employment, in the workforce. Uh, why? Because, hey, we ought to be disciplined. We ought to be working at it. Uh, discipline in work. Not only discipline in work, discipline in marriage. Uh, listen, uh, and I, no, I'm not talking about discipline as correction, all right? I'm talking about self-discipline, okay? That you would keep yourself under control and that you would work at your marriage and that you would uh, strive to have a good marriage. The Bible says here uh, that, that if any man striveth for the mastery is temperate or disciplined in all things. And so our marriages uh, are things that need to be, have, be worked at. They don't just come naturally. It's not just automatic. Uh, worship, that's another area. You think, well, worship is pretty simple. No, worship also requires discipline. I mean, how many of you just got up this morning and, man, you just looked like this when you got out of bed? And you're like, man, I think I'm just going to go to church. 
No, you had to work at it. I mean, you had to you had to get up and you had to clean up and you had to uh, you had to you know make yourself look presentable and you had to uh, get yourself breakfast and then you had to get in the car and you had to physically drive here and and show up. It was not an accident. Uh, and listen, you're not going to just wake up uh, spiritual and worshiping the Lord. You have to get up and you have to work at it. You have to open your Bible. Listen, you have to. Sometimes you have to separate time. Sometimes you have to get up a little bit earlier. Uh, in order to have the time so that you can read the Word of God and spend time in prayer. And so it requires discipline in all areas of our life, not just in one area. And we find that discipline, uh, temperance is defined as discipline, as he's saying here. He goes on and he says there uh, in verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so Fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Verse 27, he says that I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. And uh, listen, there's times that uh, your body does not want to be in subjection. You ever, done, you ever had to be on a diet and... Uh, and say, man, you, you walk by the cookies, and you look at them, and they are calling your name, especially those chocolate chip cookies. I don't know why, but chocolate chip cookies call my name, and very loudly. And, and you walk by, and you look at them, and you say, I'm, I'm on a diet, and I'm not going to eat them. It requires discipline to not partake of those cookies. And so the same idea applies that we would bring our body under subjection, spiritually speaking. You say, listen, uh, sometimes I don't feel like going to church. You know what? You bring your body under subjection and you do it. Sometimes I don't feel like praying. Sometimes I don't feel like reading my Bible. Sometimes I don't feel like doing things uh, that God wants me to do. You know what? That's where we bring our body under subjection just like we would if we were on a diet, just like we would if we were on some kind of exercise program that we would make ourselves do the things that we do not want to do and we would exercise that discipline uh, that is required for a spiritual life. Not only do we find it is discipline, but turn with me to Proverbs chapter number three. In Proverbs chapter number three, in verse number 21, we don't find our word temperance or temperate in this passage, but we certainly find uh, a lot of instruction that would guide us towards temperance and, uh, and, and being temperate in our, in our life. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 3 and verse number 21, uh, the book of Proverbs is a wonderful book. We're, we've been going through it now for uh, a while on Wednesday nights, and I, I've, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the first ten chapters are written like a letter uh, from a father to his son. And so in chapter 3, we find this paragraph uh, that is written, and he says this. He says in verse number 21, My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. 
He goes on, he says, When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, when thou liest down, thou and thy sleep shall be sweet. Uh, be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of desolation of the wicked when it cometh. He goes on and talks about that. But he, he goes on, he, he says this in verse number 21. He says, Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So we find that temperance is discipline, most certainly, but then we find discretion is important because it's discernment which enables a pers person to judge critically of what is correct. He says here in, in verse 21, My son, let not them depart from thine eyes, keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall, thy, so shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Listen, the word of God gives us instruction. And you can have the instruction all day long, but if you don't follow the instruction, if you don't, if you don't read the instruction and understand the instruction, it's not going to help you. Uh, there's, there's an awful lot of um, man stories we could tell right now, all right? How many of you men, you know, you get the thing that you're supposed to put together and it comes with the instruction booklet and you set it aside and you say, I don't, what do I need that for? You know, and you start assembling the thing right together. And, uh, and I'd say most, many times, uh, we, can, we can assemble it. But then you're always left over with a couple extra parts. You say, I wonder where those went. And, uh, and, and if you're smart, you don't let anybody see them, okay? You, you bag them and you, you, you hide them and you say, well, I don't, they were extra parts they provided for you in case they lost one. You know, you don't tell anybody what they are. But, but uh, actually, those instructions are there. Why? To guide you so that you don't have extra parts. Actually, nowadays, they started giving you extra parts. Seriously. I've read the instructions, and they do have extra parts in there. So uh, all those years, I thought there were extra parts and told everyone there were extra parts. I don't know if they really were, but, uh, but when you read the instructions, you know, oh, there are some extra parts in there. And you can have the instructions, but if you don't read them and if you don't follow the instructions, then things may not work right. It may not come together right. Or you might put it up and set it up and, and find that, uh, that one thing is not quite right. Uh, maybe if you're putting together a, a desk or a shelf, uh, you'll find that one of the edges is turned around backwards. And you're looking at it and you're like, that edge is unfinished. And that looks really bad. And you turn the shelf around and it's got one finished edge and all the rest are unfinished edges. And you can't turn it around because it looks worse. And uh, the only thing you can do is take it all back apart and put it back together the right way uh, and make it face the right way. And, uh, and so, you know, following the instructions is important. Listen, God has given us instructions and we need to follow those instructions. And sometimes it takes discretion to know uh, what to do. That is, that is taking the knowledge that God has given us and taking the word of God and deciding, hey, what is the right path? Uh, many times we're thrown uh, decisions that have got to be made right now and, and we've got to figure out what are we going to do. And discretion is that idea of saying, well, what would be best for my spiritual life? What would be best for um, my life that would be profitable to God? And so we find that that discretion plays into the discipline because knowing the right choices to make and then making those choices helps us to be disciplined in our life and to have that temperance. And so uh, we can find that temperance defined, that would be discipline and knowing and choosing wisely in our life. Then let's look at uh, temperance displayed. 
There's a lot of areas. We are not going to cover all the areas that temperance can be displayed in our life. Uh, we're just going to focus on three areas. And the first, go back with me to 1 Corinthians 9. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse number 27, we find the first and foremost area that it needs to be displayed. He says in verse number 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Listen, temperance needs to be displayed physically. Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Sometimes we have to have the power to say, no, I use the illustration of a diet and of cookies and sometimes of exercise and, 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 and other areas in our life where we have simply got to say, no, listen, those are physical temptations, but there's areas that are physical in our life that we have got to learn to say no to. Because there are things that appeal to our flesh that are not godly and are not right. And, and they are detrimental, they are bad for our life spiritually. And there's other things that we need to learn to say yes to uh, on a physical basis to the Word of God and to the things of God so that our life spiritually can be enhanced. Uh, Romans chapter 6, we've been going through the book of Romans on Sunday nights and in Romans chapter 6, it teaches us that sin does not have power over us. Uh, it says that, hey, that, that sin would no more have dominion over us. That doesn't mean it's automatic. That doesn't mean that you just wake up, hey, the, the day you got saved, you didn't, you didn't wake up the next day and never suffer temptation again. No, you are tempted. The Bible says that every man is tempted and is drawn away of his own lusts. And so everyone has their own temptation that appeals to them. And what we need to do is learn to, to say no to those things. God has given us the power and the ability to do that, but we have to use it. He said in Romans chapter 6, I believe it's verse number 11, he said, Reckon ye therefore yourselves dead to sin. In other words, that, uh, that we would take to account of ourselves that, hey, we don't have to sin. We don't have to continue in the wickedness. We can live a different life. The story is told of Sandy McIntyre, who during the days of the Northern Ontario's gold rush, uh, found what is now the famous mine bearing his name, the McIntyre Mine. And just days after discovering the mine, McIntyre sold his deed for $25 to buy a glass of liquor. Now you got to imagine this was many years ago, so $25 would have been uh, quite a bit of money, and, and I'm sure he thought he was doing well, but he sold his deed for $25 and bought a glass of liquor. Shortly after, a vein was found that produced over $230 million worth of gold. Could you imagine the fellow that bought that for $25? That's a pretty good investment, I'd say. $230 million worth of gold was pulled out of that, and that one man became rich while Sandy McIntyre spent the remainder of his life crying in darkened corners because of a 
poor decision, not exercising discretion, not exercising discipline, not, not keeping his body in check. And because of that, he lost out on a great fortune. Listen, my friend, as a Christian, uh, by not keeping your body in check and not keeping discretion in mind, you miss out not on a great earthly fortune, but yet on a great spiritual fortune that is ours to be had by following God. And obeying God. Because many times we fall prey to sin and to our own temptation. And listen, throughout history, uh, whether because of alcohol or lust or hatred, men and women have done just undescribable and unthinkable things because the flesh controls them rather than the Holy Spirit. So I want us to understand and I want us to realize that, hey, we should not give in to our flesh physically, but we should live for the Lord Jesus Christ and we should strive to keep our body under subjection, as Paul has mentioned here in this text. Not only is, uh, is temperance displayed physically, and maybe that's the physical... Um, and getting up every day and reading the Word of God. Somebody asked me one time, they said, what can I do to, uh, to better my spiritual condition and my spiritual life? And I asked the person, and I, I've heard this from somebody else, really, and I just passed it along to them. I said, I said, well, what time do you usually get up in the morning? And they said, well, I get up at, uh, I don't even remember what they said. Let's just say they, they, they got up at 7 o'clock. And I said, well, I tell you what, do this. I said, set your alarm for 6.45 and get out of bed at 6.45 and get the Bible and for 15 minutes, just spend time reading the Word of God. If you make coffee, go make your coffee and then come back and, and read the Word of God and, and just spend 15 minutes. You'd be amazed. You say, well, man, it, it takes discipline. Just like Brother Sam Davison preached on uh, one of the nights of the revival, uh, you know, the reason he doesn't, he doesn't exercise and, and buff up and the reason he didn't climb up to the top of that mountain that he was referring to is because it costs too much. Many Christians don't buff up spiritually and they don't make it to the mountaintops spiritually because it costs too much and they physically do not want to invest and dis and display temperance because of the cost and the discipline that is required spiritually and so it's spiritually displayed or physically displayed then we find not only physically but here we go ready for this one temperance is displayed in word Admittedly, the, the tongue can be the hardest thing to control. That's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. I've mentioned oftentimes in junior church or in, in Sunday school, I don't remember which, when I was younger, we'd sing a song uh, and, he said, and he says, I've got this tongue I can't control, so I give it to my Lord. And then you ask the Lord to help you. And, uh, and, and actually you would stick out your tongue and you go, Ugh. That's why the kids like the song. And, uh, and, and you'd sing that, and, and it's true. We have this tongue that is tough to control. I mean, how many, I, in my own life, and I'm sure in your life, uh, you can remember times when, when you would spout off something, and, and I, I think back to my life, and I think, well, that was a dumb thing to say. But yet so many times it gets the best of us and we need to ask God to help us control our tongue. The Bible talks a lot about the tongue in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 25. 
It says, wherefore, putting away, lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. This tongue many times gets the best of us, and we, uh, we use it uh, many times not for good. And so we need to ask the, the Lord to help us display temperance in our words, uh, display temperance physically in the choices that we make. And not only that, but I want to mention this, temperance displayed as well in our thought life. There's none, no temptation and no uh, temptation probably greater than the things that float through our mind. And somebody said, you can't stop temptation. That's true. Uh, temptation is going to float through your mind. But listen, you can stop it. Uh, you might not be able to stop a bird from flying through your trees, but you can stop a bird from building a nest in your trees. You might not be able to stop some of the thoughts that float through your head, but listen, you can stop them from dwelling there and dwelling upon them. You can shake them out and chase them away. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This world tempts us all day long. You, drive, you walk out the door, uh, if you listen to the radio, there's temptation in the radio. You drive down the road, there's temptation in billboards. There's temptation that, that goes down the street. You drive by a gas station, there's temptation there. You drive by this, you drive by that, you go to work. Uh, you cannot live in the world and not be faced with temptation. But you do not have to dwell upon it. You just keep asking God to help you. Say, God, that's not right. And I don't want to think about those things. The Bible says, uh, you can memorize this verse. It's a wonderful verse, Philippians 4.8. It says this. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, and he ends the verse this, think on these things. You know what? It, it requires self-discipline to sometimes flush out the mind and say, I don't want to think on that. I don't want to dwell on those things. I want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it requires discipline on our part. Uh, we're not going to get to temperance developed, but uh, understand this, that it, it's a development. You know the soldiers that go in the military? They don't go in strong. They don't go in with discipline. They go in as common everyday people. And you know what they do? They train them and they mold them and they make them a disciplined soldier that's going to follow orders and that's going to do what they're told to do. The illustration's given uh, a long time and we live in Amish country so I, I often find it very relevant but, uh, but those horses that they have, that, that, that haul those Amish buggies. You ever been out to Amish country, you know what I mean. There's, there's horses and they're hauling buggies and, and they'll be going down the side of a road and a, a great big 18-wheeler go flying by them. That horse doesn't flinch or nothing, just keeps trotting down. How does that horse do that? 
discipline, a lot of training, a lot of time has gone into that. It's not automatic. They didn't, that horse didn't wake up and say, I think I'll pull the wagon down, uh, down Route 62 where all the, uh, the semis are going by. No, 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 that didn't happen that way. They trained that horse. Matter of fact, I've seen some horses, they come up to a crossroad that are on a back road and, and that horse didn't want to stay still and the semi go by and boy, they almost rear up and, and, uh, and they have all kinds of problems. Why? Because uh, that horse hasn't been trained yet to go out on the roads and listen, it comes with time in our life and it comes with discipline and it comes with practice and it comes with the power of the Holy Spirit and asking God to help us to live a disciplined life doesn't happen by accident. It happens with time. And so we need to ask God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. We need to ask God to help us to live a disciplined life. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Temperance. Self-control. Discipline. Father, we ask that you'd help us in our life to live a disciplined life and to obey you and to follow you in our life. God, I pray that you would help us to depend upon you, Father, for every action that we do, every word that we speak, every thought that floats through our mind. God, may we check it against your word. May we use discretion in our life to know what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what is pleasing to you, what is not pleasing to you. God, what is going to help build up our spiritual life and what is going to tear down our spiritual life? Temperance, moderation, self-control, discipline. Help us to live a disciplined life spiritually and to walk with you in our life. God, that we may run our spiritual race to the very best of our ability. We may grow closer to you with every step. And God will thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God spoken to your heart, the altar is open. A disciplined life spiritually.